Good Doctrine podcast, where we believe that good doctrine establishes good living. I'm Sean Pasley. And I'm Josh Howard. Uh, Today we're going to talk about the study of the last things, um, something that's referred to in theological circles as eschatology, which is just a a fancier word for the study of the last things. And we'll get into more detail about that in a minute. Um, One reminder, everybody, as we begin the episode, though, uh, please interact with us. Uh, check us out on our Facebook group. If you're not a part of the podcast Facebook group, join us. Uh, we encourage interaction, uh, all discussions. You is, all you got to do is look up Good Doctrine Podcast on Facebook, and it's our logo. Everything's the same. Right now, there's over 100 people who are members, and um, a lot of y'all are consistently interacting with us. We're having good discussions. I really, really enjoy it. And that's what we want to we wanna keep keep doing that. Yep. That's the point of this. The point of it's... To be for our church, to, 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 to benefit our church, I mean, not our church, to benefit God's church that we're a part of, uh, to grow believers. And, and so we, we encourage that interaction. If you, don't, if you don't like interacting online, if it stresses you out, as it does me very often, uh, shoot us an email. You can be anonymous. Um, just ask a question or maybe interact with something we said or, or you know, bring up an opposing viewpoint or, or whatever. Shoot us an email, gooddoctrinepodcast at gmail.com. Um, we'd love to hear from you and, and and check all that out. And we've been, I wanted to bring up, we've been encouraged several times this, just this past week alone, um, you know, some of our church members have approached us and told us, you know, how much they're learning, you know, things that they haven't really thought about or been taught. And that's really exciting, you know, that to know that we're um, contributing, you know, to the spiritual growth of, you know, particularly Calvary, you know, our church. But um, I've heard, you know, from friends and from people in the group that they enjoy listening, you know. Uh, I'm I'm excited that I feel like this is this is kind of becoming a a really neat form of ministry that we're you know yep. a part of so um, so much so that we're moving into Lord willing we're moving into our new podcast studio which I'm gonna yeah. start calling it a podcast studio because that sounds a lot more classy than old abandoned Awana closet that we have tried to revamp and retool. Yeah. Um, But yeah, we're going to move into our new studio down the hallway here, uh, Lord willing, by next week. So if you guys are on campus or something, come check it out. We'd love to give you the tour. It'll probably take three seconds. Yeah. Um, We'll open the door and let you look inside We got something coming up, though, on our... Lord willing, again, if we get to our tenth episode, we've got... what what, We were discussing this earlier. This is the ninth episode, or the ninth topic, technically. So tenth... Yeah, anyway, this is the ninth episode. Uh, I want everybody, if you would like, some good doctrine merchandise. We've talked snow globes. We've talked collectible uh, silverware. Uh, the ever-popular hoodie or T-shirts. and or T-shirts. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of stickers. We have a good logo. I mean... We do have a good logo. I mean, it's the Jerusalem cross, but yeah, We didn't stickers. make it up. Uh, so anyway, we're going to be soon, you know, just kind of making merchandise. We're still discussing um, what ministry or kind of venture we want to be able to support with merchandise. And so we're working toward that. We're talking about that. But what I would like to encourage uh, everyone who's listening to do, and that would really help out the podcast, is if you could leave a review wherever you're listening. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, rate it five stars, preferably, um, hopefully, yeah, hopefully, uh, but rate it, leave a, a written review that it really helps the podcast out. It helps mm-hmm. our pod, not just us make any money. That's not what we're talking about, but it helps this, the discussion of Christian doctrine, good Christian doctrine, get out to more people. Yeah. Um, but so we're going to, we're going to, I guess all this to say, we're going to have a contest and, uh, the contest is if you rate and review on whatever 
podcast app service that you use, if it's Spotify, if it's uh, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pandora, Stitcher, however whatever, they got, however, however you got this, to yeah, it, yeah. rate it, review it there, um, and send us a screenshot. And this is the second part of the contest. You have to be a member of our group on Facebook. So take a screenshot of your review, post it in the group, and then what was the third thing? Oh, share it. Share it on Facebook or mm. on Instagram or on Twitter. You know, we don't have If a, somebody didn't have Facebook, would we accept an email of the screenshot? An email just, of the screen... Oh, yeah. Just email. yeah. just show us if you're at church. Like, just, hey, look, I left a review. We're... I mean, we're going to get a notification that someone left a review, but... We'll know. This encur- <laughs> Yeah, this encourages, awesome. you know, more interaction and stuff. And the, the only reason why we're doing that like I said, we're not trying to make money. We're not trying to make a name for ourselves. Chances are we're going to lose money doing this. Oh, we are definitely yeah. going to lose. <laughs> but the point is that more people will hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And speaking of which, we're going to have an episode coming up on what is the gospel. Yep. Um, pr- that's an issue of primary importance. It is. But uh, yeah. So, okay. I'll, I'll succinctly mention the contest again here. Review and rate... On whatever uh, podcast streaming service you're using, review and rate Good Doctrine Podcast. Take a screenshot of that and post it in the Good Doctrine Facebook group, or at least be a part of the Good Doctrine Facebook group, Uh, and share it. Share our podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. It's going to be fun. We've got some guests coming up, too, that I'm excited about. I'm excited about the podcast in general. Um, but I'm excited. We've got a couple distinguished guests coming up, which, you know, far more learned and interesting men than we are. So that's always a boost. Um, some great topics like you talked about. I don't think we're going to run out of topics on church doctrine anytime soon. We will never run out of... <laughs> yeah, it'd be yeah, tough. The but ocean is deep, Josh. It is deep. All right, so speaking of the ocean, let's go ahead and jump into today's topic. So we're talking about eschatology. Should I refer to this as eschatology or just call it the last things? Ain't nothing wrong with equipping people. Okay. So. I'm just going to continue using the word eschatology, but when I say that, I hope you understand I'm just, I'm just referring to the last things, that study of the last things that we're talking about. So just let me ask you, Sean, when you when we think about eschatology, because I get neck deep in topics and I, I kind of I kind of lose myself, and, and eschatology is just one of those that since I've focused on it academically, um, I've kind of gotten you know neck deep in a lot of this stuff for a while to where it makes a lot of sense to me to talk about this stuff, but it, it may not be stuff that most people think of the same way I do. So yeah, when I when I say eschatology, like what's your what's like the first things you you think of? I mean, just off the top of your head as a Christian. So you mentioned the, like the last things. Yeah, and I think I think most people are are familiar with the term the end times. Bingo. Okay. Um. So I think of tribulation. I think of rapture. I think of you know apocalypse. I think of blood up to the horses' necks and right. death and despair. The four horsemen of the apocalypse and you know just fire all over the earth and terrible judgment. Okay. And I you know when you when I hear the term the last things or the end times or eschatology. I think in my, you know, my finite mind, that's mostly what I think. Well, of. I think it's where most people's minds would go, yeah. Sure. I mean, if, like, if, if I was to be like, hey, I'm going to watch a movie, it's eschatological, or it's a movie about eschatology, like, you'd probably assume it's going to be something like Blood and despair. And... Sure. Um, so when you think about eschatology, is it something that you think of, like, would you would you describe yourself as living in eschatological times, or as an eschatological Christian, or is that something that comes a long time from now? 
Just in your mind, oh, first yeah. reactions. Well, oh, yeah. Like, is it something I, present? So something I know this future? is silly. I know this is silly. I'm a very, or I have a very uh, vivid imagination, I suppose. Um, I think of like Mad Max desert wasteland yeah. when I think of a post apocalyptic. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what I think. I mean, so when you asked, when you said, asked the question, are you living in eschatological times? Are you living in the end times? I'm like, well, you know, there's still water in the faucets. You know, I don't have to <laughs> fight for oil or battle in a Thunderdome. And so that's just sort of where my mind jumps to. Yeah. Um, and I, to be honest, I think that's where most people's minds jumps to is, you oh, know, yeah. cracked road in the California desert. And there's some guy dressed in all black leather riding a motorcycle. It, you know, it's silly. Sure. But... So when you think about it, as far as like, as far as the biblical storyline, if we had, you know, obviously we have the Bible, which is which is what we're going to talk about. But the Bible is not always written chronologically. Um, so in, in order of events. in order of time events, like it's not written to be a front to back like and here the next week this happened like some of the some of the books are like that but but sometimes it's a little harder to tell um so when you think about eschatology where does it fit in that big biblical storyline that big the big bible story that god's writing that started in the you know garden of eden yeah like lasting through to the new heavens part of the bible talks about eschatology yeah well i was gonna get there but yeah both i guess like where would you find it in the bible if you were talking about eschatology i think and where is it in the big storyline Sure. Ah, okay. You see what I'm saying? I mean, I know where you're leading me, yeah. but I also, I mean, my first thing, where is it in the Bible? The end. Okay. It's just like, that's just the end of the Bible. Yeah. Um, that's, and, a, and a lot of books are going to agree with you. I've got, I, I'm I'm studying systematic theology, so I've got probably more systematic theology books than, than normal theology books. And you know we're going to find the eschatology section. The very, very end. Yeah, the very last chapter. So if you've got a 20 chapter book, you know, up there. The last two or three chapters are going to be their "quote unquote" eschatology chapters. Yeah. So you're not alone in that in that thought. Where where do you, where do you think we'd look in the Bible? Well, Revelation. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's where most people are going to think. Most people are going to think that, um, and I just say most people. Most of us have the impression that eschatology is pretty much talking about the Book of Revelation, and specifically, usually the very end of the Book of Revelation. But I'm going to make a proposal, and this is just my personal take on eschatology. But when I say eschatology, this is kind of what I mean, at least in this podcast. This is what I'm what I'm just trying to share. Eschatology are those things that happen in I'm going to say redemptive history, but pretty much in the history that God is writing throughout Scripture of Him saving men and women, of Him accomplishing His plans for His glory. Eschatology is that thing that's moving toward the end, toward that consummation of when Christ returns and reclaims all things to himself. So eschatology is something that runs throughout the Bible, and we catch glimpses of it in different parts of the Bible, and it's that storyline where God is moving things toward a conclusion, toward a victory, and toward reclaiming all back to himself. So you're you're proposing that eschatology, or the last things, don't just deal with what happens at the very end, but it's like a thread throughout all of Scripture. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to agree, and this is just, again, this is just my personal personal take on it. I'm going to agree with guys like like Greg Beale or Anthony Hakima or other guys that are going to trace eschatology as like a lens that you see Scripture through. So that eschatology is something that runs all the way from the Garden of Eden throughout the Bible to the new heavens and the new earth when God reclaims all those things back to himself. Uh, so it's gonna it's gonna include things that there's been eschatology in the past. We're living in an eschatological time right now, but there's eschatological events we're looking to in the future. So would you 
would you say that the term the last things is almost a misnomer because it doesn't necessarily just deal with well this is this is why i think it's not a misnomer okay first off it's a biblical term the last things but yeah. secondly we're told that we're already living in the last days that's a common new testament theme is gotcha. that these 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 last days have already come so when you read when you read certain parts of the new testament you get this you get this tension um, I don't know how else to describe it other than attention, but the fact that the last days are coming, but that they're already here, mm. that that Jesus is going to return, but that his first coming has already started events that are rolling throughout the New Testament age, that he's victorious now, but he's going to be victorious one day soon. So it's almost like we live in an in-between time right now. Yeah, This whole in-between time between Christ's first and second coming, it's a time of tension because we are in the last days. These things have started, but they're not yet where they're going to be. Right. And I, I've heard the expression, you know, the already and not yet. Right. Um, is that what's called inaugurated eschatology? Sure. Is yeah. That... I mean, and there's nuances with all those things, but anything like inaugurated or two-age eschatology is what Gerhardt's Voss used to write about and some other some other authors uh, inaugurated. Um, but this yeah, that's is some complicated stuff. It sounds complicated, but it's really not because when you read your New Testament, <laughs> I it's, mean, it's complicated to me. It's, it's it's complicated only in the depth. But to understand what we're talking about, just the concept, when you read your New Testament, you're going to read Paul say, "Hey, you're living in the last days, Christian," and yet don't fall asleep because Christ is returning and the last days are coming. Sure. So sure, if, yeah. if you're just if you're looking for those things in your New Testament, you're going to be confronted with like, well, wait a minute, how how are we in the last days right now? Isn't that what comes at the very end? Yeah. And the answer is, well, yeah, but it's also started already in Jesus Christ. When Jesus came, events started that the New Testament refers to as these these last days or or uh, or this you know this final age that we're in. So gotcha. When we when when most people think though about eschatology, I think most people are only thinking about three groups, really. I think it's how how most of us, if anybody's really familiar with eschatology, what are they going to ask you to determine what you believe about eschatology? Like what your view on the millennium is, like the millennial reign of Christ. Right. So are you like pre-mill, are you post-mill, are you ah-mill? Right. So that's where most people are going to go. Before we get into those, I'm just going to suggest, though, there's a host of views out there um, that are broader than those views. Those views all take a literal interpretation of Scripture. The which views is you good. just, yeah, which is good, and that's why we ask those things in like our circles. Um, but there's a lot of people who would claim to be Christians who would say, "Well, really, everything that's going to happen has already happened." It's something called realized eschatology. Everything that's going to happen has already happened in Christ. Like we're not really looking for anything to come. It's already happened. Um, all those views you just described, though, are looking for future events, that Jesus is going to literally return, that the Bible means what it says when it talks about these events occurring in the future, and that we can look for those things. Yeah. So I just want to just throw that out there. We don't need to get into all those different views, um, but there's views that would say that there's there's a figurative interpretation or a realized interpretation or or a host of other interpretations that aren't Now, gonna... we, we talk about this in off, and I say... I, we maybe I talk about it an awful lot. I know it was in one of the questions when I preached that I kind of mentioned or asked, but I would say for the most part, our church bel- believes in the literal interpretation of eschatology and in, in the, the the literally Christ is coming back because you know we talk about this a lot that when we say that during a sermon, 
our church says amen and praise God for, for right. Jesus coming back. So that's good. We can say that at, maybe while they might not understand the certain nuances or, or even I understand the certain nuances of these eschatological views, we do believe that Jesus is coming back, which is a biblically accurate view. Yeah, absolutely. It's good doctrine. Good doctrine, yeah. Plug for our podcast that people are already listening to, and I don't really need to plug <laughs> yeah. it. But let's just jump in then. When, when you think about the pre-mill, post-mill, and ah-mill, I'm using the abbreviations, pre-millennial view, post What, what is millennial, this millennial? Post-millennial view. I'm getting there, Sean. Let I mean, I'm a millennial. By. You, in Post-millennial fact, millennial view. Too. I'm not. I'm an ex-ennial. So you're a pre-millennial? And ah-millennial view. All those views are, are, are circling around what? Because you just mentioned it. Oh, the millennial reign. Millennial. Yeah, Christ. right. All, all, all three of those views. Really, what they're concerned with is, is really what's what's only specifically mentioned in Revelation chapter twenty, um, primarily in verses four through six, which is talking about the millennial reign of Christ. Yeah. So when you when you flip through and there's the thousand year reign, the thousand year reign, right? And that's it's got ties. Like I said, eschatology isn't something that just pops up in Revelation twenty. Um, to understand Revelation 20, you need to go back and understand Daniel chapter 7, Ezekiel 38 and 39, um, a whole host of other New Testament passages. But when you get there to Revelation 20, it talks about a thousand-year reign of Christ. So the three, those three views you just mentioned, they're all talking about when that happens. So, for example, like the pre-millennium view yep. refers to... When Christ is coming, he's coming pre-millennium. So the pre-millennial view is that Christ is coming, uh, but that he's going to come before a thousand-year reign on earth. And so the the post-mill would obviously be the opposite of post, that, that Christ post-millennial, comes. Post-millennial, right. And then post-millennial is that there is a reign, a thousand-year reign inaugurated on this earth during which Jesus will return post-millennium. Um, but that that reign's going to be started due to the gospel triumphing over the world. So the world will progressively be won to the case of the gospel, and I'm trying not to overgeneralize post-millennialists here, but that in some case that the world is won by the gospel, which inaugurates the thousand-year reign at the end of which Christ returns and 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 uh, the new heavens and the new earth are ushered in. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, now, Amil... Amil. Amil. Now, I... That, that is kind of a misnomer. It is. The whole prefix ah, or, you know, the letter A attached to the front of a word um, means not. So, like, if I was I'm trying to think of a good... Asymmetrical means not symmetrical. Perfect, yeah. Asymmetrical, not symmetrical. So when you say ah, millennial, it literally means no millennium, but that's not what it teaches. Ah, millennialism teaches that there is a millennium because it's spoken of there, the thousand-year reign in, in Revelation... But it, uh, amillennialism teaches that that thousand-year reign is the church age. So that that reign of Christ was started with his first coming and will be consummated or finalized, completed with his second coming. So we're, we're in the church age. Yeah, amillennialism so, would teach that we're in the millennium right now. Okay. That it's so, being lived out through the gospel. Okay, yeah. and we can flesh that out more. Ah, millennialism of the of the, of those views. There's there's little nuances, and I don't want to use too many complicated terms, but I'll just throw this out here so nobody gets a, gets their hackles up or gets offended at their view. Ah, millennialism and post millennialism are very similar. 
but post-millennialism believes that the world's going to slowly get better as it's one to the gospel. Right. Again, this is broad brushstrokes, but essentially that's what they believe. Um, amillennialism would say, now the world's going to get progressively worse. Most amillennialists would say that the world's going to get progressively worse until Christ returns and then writes all these things. Premillennialism, you could further kind of differentiate between what they call historic premillennialism yeah. and dispensational premillennialism. The big difference there is just how you understand the role of church and Israel, what that relationship is. So it gets into a lot of things like covenant. There's there's so many nuances with these views, and I think that's why a lot of people get just, you know, I'm not even going to worry about it is, is what most folks would say, because there's just yeah. too much out there and there's too many disagreements and stuff. I, I, I get that part, but it's really not that complicated for us to grapple with what the Bible teaches about those last things. You don't have to know well, no, what okay. everyone believes, but yes. you do have to know what you think the Bible's teaching about the yeah, last things. Is. So, amen. Um, now, I mean, you keep mentioning that it's like not that complicated. It, I personally... How about it doesn't need to be that complicated? Is that what I'm trying to say? Because like, if you have a view, Sean, and you come to the New Testament, you say, man, what's this telling me about what I should expect about when God's going to return? That, that can be pretty simple. We've talked about this. But for you to understand like the whole plethora of what everybody believes, like I'll, I'll probably never get there. I'm not going to understand everybody. Maybe, but we've talked about this a lot. What, what prevents me or what prevented me from really diving into this was, um, you know, I had people approach me and ask me about my eschatological views when I first became a Christian. Yeah. Oh, hey, are you pre-mill, post-mill, ah-mill? Are you, you know, if you're a pre-mill, are you pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib? You know, and it's like, my whole thing was at that point was like, hey, this is a, this is a barrier that you're putting up so that you can, quote unquote, judge my Christianity. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it just, my big question with all this, that I think that we probably should answer at some point in the podcast is why does this matter? Like, why does it matter? Because I'm going to die and stuff's going to happen anyway. Or Jesus is going to come back. He says that no one's going to know the time or the the place where he's going to come back. So why does it, any of this matter? Why should I even think about this? Yeah. And I and not and I do not think that's a valid argument. Why should I even think about something that Jesus mentioned was important? I don't think that's a valid argument. But I can see how people might be overwhelmed because I am overwhelmed with the amount of nuance and the, I would, the depth. I would suggest with this, and that's a good question. I mean, it really is, and, and I'm not trying to downplay it. Um, but I, th- I think most people have eschatology, whether they think they do or not. Well, amen. And that's with most of the doctrines we talk about on here. You've got a view, even, yeah. if, it, even if it's not well thought out. You haven't put a lot of time into it, but you have a view. The, the two reasons that I would give, and this is just off the top of my head, um, the first is you should care because the Bible cares. So yeah. like when Paul writes to the church in 1 Thessalonians 4, I think is probably the clearest example I can think of. And this church is struggling with a whole lot of doubt and they need encouragement. And they're trying to think through what what can we place our hope and our faith in, obviously in Christ, but like what's coming, what's coming down the road for us. Paul writes to them and he talks about when Christ will return. Yeah. Like that, that's where he tells them like, hey, have faith, have hope, stand fast in your faith. Jesus is going to return, and then he essentially teaches eschatology to them. Um, so yeah. number one, the Bible cares about it. But number two, it's part of your witness to lost people. When you share the gospel with yeah. somebody, typically my gospel witness does not conclude with, um, you know, I set up sin and I set up where we've been in our sinful state and why we got there and how Jesus has made a way that sinners can be saved. And then Jesus is going to save you and then just hold on tight and something may happen 
or something's going to happen, but I'm not sure what it is. Like, yeah, none of us yeah. share the gospel that way. We tell them, like, Christ is going to return. Um, yeah. You're going to be caught up to meet him, and then we start to talk about these things. Well, that's, that's eschatology. It changes the way you share to lost people, because they want to know what's going to happen. Yeah. I, good point. Good point. So I think it's just good to keep those those things in perspective, though, you know, when we're talking about them. When most people in the church, I think, are primarily, if you were to just take a survey of, of Baptist churches in the South, which is just our context where we serve here, yeah, I, th- I think most people would be associate. Most people would at least have primarily heard premillennialism taught. Which what what does that like entail? What is that teaching of? Or maybe what are some popular examples of the teaching or just you know whatever that we would hear? Yeah, I think. The easiest, but probably not best example, is just the Left Behind series. Okay. So you had this this huge promulgation of of novels and movies that came out. That was the Left Behind series by who was that? Tim LaHaye and somebody Jenkins, Terry, yeah. Terry Jenkins, something like that. I'm sorry, Mr. Jenkins. LaHaye and Jenkins. Yeah. We'll say it that way, so we're not wrong. Um, but yeah, so most people are familiar with the Left Behind series. Well, that that's an example of of premillennialism. It's a specific example of premillennialism, but that's 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 one of the the many. You had Hal Lindsey who who wrote many books on the the. We really should have looked these titles up, but what was it the late great planet Earth or something that Hal Lindsey wrote? Something I don't know. In any case, Hal Lindsey was was premillennial. Um, some modern examples are like like a uh, Charles Schofield who wrote the Charles the the Schofield Reference Bible, right? Premillennial, uh, J. Dwight Pentecost. Uh, very popular. What about those billboards and, that I see when I'm driving on the road? Like the end of the world is coming. It's going to be on this date. Harold Camping, John Hagee, people like that. That yeah, that, is that, that pre mill? Those would all fall into pre mill. So like okay. you know, again, just disclaimer, broad brushstrokes. You don't have to agree with everything John Hagee says. If you're both pre mill, like you may just have the same yeah, I'm just know, inclinations about the end times. Of this yeah, theological. View. But that would be yeah, sure. In any anything that looks. Anything that that is looking for a a rapture of Christians, a catching up, and when I use the word rapture, that's that's a non biblical word, but it's a word that we commonly use. The rapture, the catching up of Christians into the air before the rest of people. So there's there's people that are left behind right, who were right. not saved while right. Christians are, are and then raptured. Within, within that, within premillennialism, there's also the they even are divided even further when where they believe the rapture will happen. Right? Is it you know? Is it before Pre-trib, a tribulation? Or is it in the middle of the tribulation? Is it at the end of the tribulation? You know, there's there's a bunch of like Christian movies that are out there that they all deal with like what the world is going to look like after the rapture, and um, and it is this you know desert. Nick Cage like, just made one, didn't he? He well, he made a Left Behind movie. Yeah, or he was a part of it. Yeah, so that would be a. Pre pre millennial, pre tribulation view yeah. that was in that movie, and Nick Nick Cage was in a pre pre mill pre trib movie, and probably didn't know didn't know that. Oh, I'm well. sure he knew that. I don't I don't know if he knew that or not. But most people in the South, specifically in Baptist churches, I think this is this is the primary view that that they've been exposed to, or I should say, we've been exposed to. So just within our circles, it's good to to recognize that when most people think about eschatology, that may be the only thing that. That comes to mind is a premillennial view of eschatology. Right. If you look historically, and I'm going to be really, really gentle with this comment, um, but historically, premillennialism has has been a predominant view only within the last 200 years 
only really since the 19th century has it been a very dominant view. Now, there, okay. there will be people that will disagree with me about what early church fathers may or may not have believed, and that's that's fine. That's not where I'm going with this. But what I am trying to point out is that there is a reason historically that it became so popular, and, and a lot of it has to do with that Scobie reference Bible. Schofield. Um, Schofield, thank you so much. I, I did this when we were having this conversation the other day. I'm thinking of, thinking of another author named Scobie. But yeah, the Schofield Reference Bible, when it came out, it was a very conservative, Bible-believing study Bible at a time when a lot of people were going off to seminary and losing their faith, and then coming back changed men, and the churches were understandably scared. They wanted to make sure that if they were grounding, grounding the, uh, their faith in a, in a study Bible as, you know, as a help to, to God's Word that it was a reliable study Bible that wasn't written by somebody that doesn't believe Jesus is going to return. So for a lot of people, premillennialism became like a litmus test or like a gauge to tell, is this person a, a Bible-believing Christian? Do they really believe what the Bible teaches? So that, that's what the Schofield, ref, the Schofield Reference Bible um, put forward that idea of right. premillennialism, like you said, in a time of like rampant liberalism and um, you know, not trusting in the inerrancy and the sufficiency of scriptures. Right. So it became... Yeah, the Schofield reference was written from a pre- premillennial author. You know, I, I say the Schofield reference was written. It was compiled because of the reference notes and, and things in there. The author that compiled those notes was premillennial. So for a lot of people, premillennial kind of took on... It wasn't just your eschatological viewpoint. It was more like, are you a serious Christian who believes the Bible? Are you okay. somebody I can trust? Are you a conservative Christian? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and that became, for a lot of people, kind of kind of a test. And, and that's why for a lot of people, when they were confronted with things that were more... I mean, because good grief, if you look at, if you look at the, the history of the church, if you read most of the Puritans, most of the Puritan authors are going to be postmillennial. If you look at the the whole history of the church, you're going to see a predominance of amillennial thought, especially back to the church fathers. So that doesn't mean you have to believe one of those viewpoints, but it does mean that we shouldn't pretend like because somebody has one of those viewpoints that they must not be a Bible-believing Christian, because that's just not the witness of the, the history of the church. That's not, that's not historically valid. Gotcha. Would you say it's important for the average believer, and I say average, you know, and know that when we when we talk about the lay person or the average believer, we just mean every single believer. It's not, you know, putting anyone down or saying that there's any sort of spiritual level, but would you say that for the average person, the average Christian, that they should understand their theology? Like, would you say that they should understand what camp, so to speak, they fit into? I think it's helpful. Um, so, so one of the things toward the end of this podcast, I hope we're going to be able to have time for, is just to recommend some authors in these various camps that people can reference uh, for just good, reliable information on those views. But this is the thing. This is the thing that bugs me, Sean. And it, I, I know it bugs me partially just because this is one of the areas I study most in, and and I understand I have kind of a bias with that. But it seems like for most people, we come to eschatology and we say, well, people have disagreed about this for a long time people who love God, um, it doesn't seem that important to me, because like you said, like if we can just all agree Christ is returning, can't, we just, can't, can't that be enough? Jesus is coming back, isn't that enough? Isn't that all the eschatology I need? My big problem with that is, is two things. Number one, the Bible teaches it many times in many places. It's talking about what's coming. So I think we do, as, as Bible-believing Christians, we do have a responsibility to know what we think about those things and to change our lives based on what the Bible does teach. But then secondly, you wouldn't make that argument with almost anything else. 
So you wouldn't make right, that argument right. with a, you wouldn't you wouldn't say with abortion. Well, people have been arguing about abortion for decades. It's just not it's not worth you know discussing anymore. We've disagreed for too long. You'd never make that argument. You'd say no. There there's there's something true and untrue that we're going to discuss and fight over. It's worth fighting over. And I say fighting over. You know what I mean? I don't I don't think we should get into fistfights in the hallway over eschatology. But I do think with any doctrine that we have as Christians, we should know what we believe and we should engage it from the Word of God. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. We should engage with it. We should engage with this theology, this study of the last things, this eschatology. Um, do you think that it's a fellowship breaking issue, though? Like it's a, it's a, it's a, like that if someone is an amillennialist and I am a postmillennialist, that I, that they are, you know, outside of the camp, so to speak. No, I don't. I don't. I don't think this is an issue to break fellowship over by any stretch. I think. I think what we must agree on are those main things of the gospel. Um, that doesn't mean the other things aren't important, but it does mean that it's not a test of fellowship. Right. So if someone comes into our church and says, you know, I just I just can't really believe in this whole thing about Jesus rising from the grave. Well, yeah. that's going to be that that's a not that's if you don't believe in the resurrection, that's going to be a hard test of fellowship. That's a yeah. non-negotiable. Exactly. But if you come in and say, you know what, I really see in Scripture, it seems to me that there's going to be a literal thousand-year reign that precedes the okay, that's fine. Somebody who disagrees with that, you can still have fellowship, but, but I just don't think I don't think we as Christians should ignore these things because no. the 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 passage. And that's is, not what I was getting at. I hope you don't. No, think no, of no. That. I know, but like you know what I mean. Like there's kind of a. I think we as Christians we want to we want to be nice enough not to argue sometimes, and it 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 keeps us from discussing deep truths of Scripture. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between me coming in and being like, you know what, Sean. You're just wrong and dumb for believing that viewpoint, and I'm going to yell at you until you believe my viewpoint. There's a difference between that and me being like, man, what do you do with these passages where it talks about X, you know, yeah, yeah. or Y or Z? I, I think 100% of our Bible we should engage with. And just because an issue, a topic is difficult doesn't mean we shouldn't address it, we shouldn't think about it. And I, I'll be honest, this is the most difficult topic for me, not because it is like I mean, you know, you said it's not that complicated because like it's laid out plainly in Scripture. Um, that's not why it's difficult for me to address. It's difficult because it's there's so much differing thoughts on it. There, there's so much. There's so much ink has been spilled on you know eschatology on the last things. And another thing is you know me just personally when I was kind of a new Christian and, and just first being discipled, I had a lot of people come at me with you know I, I mentioned before like. You know, what's your eschatological view on this? A lot of people from, you know, who are currently in seminary, I don't know if it, at the time, it was like a big hot thing in the seminary that's around us, but that's all people seem to care about is, hey, you know, is he uh, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib? You know, it seems like that's all people cared about, and it really put me off because they weren't concerned about, like, you know, essential core doctrinal issues. They were concerned about this theological view of the end times. And I get it for like a theology nerd, for theology nerds like us, it's interesting and it's exciting and it's fun to think about. But for, you know, the, the 34 year old housewife who's raising her four kids at home and she's not, you know, this is not something that's like on her agenda to think about every single day. It's not her job necessarily to think about these things. It might be hard for the average person to think, why should I even get into this? Right. And I think that you mentioned it, that if Jesus talks about it, it's worth 
understanding more. And I don't know if it was Martin Luther who uh, quoted this or John Calvin or, you know, any of the other Puritans, but just if it's important to God, it should, maybe it was Charles Spurgeon, but if it's important to God, if it's important enough to God to put down for us to know in his word, then it should be important enough for us to like dedicate our lives to and to, you know, to pour a lot of effort into. And it's also, it gives you, and I would just say this is just a personal encouragement. I understand that eschatology is, is difficult to wrap our heads around. And it's especially difficult, I think, because it's spread throughout Scripture um, in so many places yeah, that are difficult. So. But I, th- I think I think the encouraging part is that when you get to certain places, like, for example, when you read the Genesis narrative, if you read that with Revelation, the end of Revelation in mind, you see... That you lens, see, like you right, said. Right, you see parallels, and you see God doing things at the end that He started at the beginning, and it gives a depth and a richness to that Bible story. Yeah. And you don't have to be just neck deep in theology or eschatology every day to see some of this stuff. We read a book. We're not doing book recommendations yet, but I'm going to throw in in here anyway. We read a book to our kids called The Biggest Story, How the Snake Crusher Brings Us Back to the Garden. It's written by Kevin DeYoung and I think another author. It's fantastic, and I can't recommend it enough, but it is a children's story that my my five- and seven-year-old just love and are wrapped up in, and he's teaching what I'm talking about. Mm. He's teaching how Jesus's promise in Genesis 3.15 stretches all the way to the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation 22, because it's the story. It's that story of, we have fallen, how is God going to save us from what we have done, and how does that come to pass in Christ, and what's it leading toward? Yeah. And so that's just a... that. Kevin DeYoung can make those things simple enough for a child, and that's why he's a well-known author. That's that's a great job. Um, some people like me, I struggle to make these things simple just for myself, you know. But yeah, well, you know, I, and and the things we've really only so very briefly touched on um, these views. They are so nuanced, and 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 every single person who believes in an amillennial view or a premillennial view or a postmillennial view will take issue with like what we said um, because we really haven't talked about the nuance of it. And I think that maybe we can even devote entire podcasts to an entire episode to each view. Easily. Um, I mean, we, t- there's thousands of books that have been written on each view. So um, I hope that no one came expecting to get like a super comprehensive look at it, but maybe just, I think that what you've communicated today or, you know, through our talk today is, um, the importance of eschatology, that it's not just stuck in revelation or Daniel or, you know, any of these, these prophetic Ezekiel, the prophetic passages of, um, you know, it's, it's, I like the idea, like what you said, of looking through entire script. Eschatology is kind of the lens through which we can view Scripture. You know, um, that's really neat. And I, I think I, it also plays into... The, the problem with eschatology for a lot of people is that it plays into so many different areas. So, for example, when I think about eschatology, the, the one of the things of primary importance is your hermeneutics or your exegesis. The way you're interpreting the Bible... When you do eschatology, what most people fight over is not the passages where they are in the Bible or anything. It's how we're to interpret them. So when you read the book of Revelation, why do you read that book differently than you would James? 
And you should read it a little differently than you do, James. When you read Daniel, why is it different than the Gospel of Matthew? And how do we read those books? That's where most of the arguments come in, and that's stuff that most people just get get overwhelmed with. Um, yeah. How different types of writing should be read and interpreted by Christians. But that goes hand-in-hand hand with expository preaching and apologetics. That's what we do in our Sunday morning worship. We explain to people why we're reading, for example, right now, Second Peter, the way we're reading it. It's not just because we decided this is the best way. It's because it's an epistle. It's a letter. We're going to read it in keeping with the type of writing it is. So so I just say that, like, I understand eschatology. It touches on a whole lot of different issues like that. Yeah. So let me ask you this this question as, as I think toward closing. Let me ask you this question, Sean, because I could talk about eschatology for the next four hours and probably not even scratch the surface of, of what we could talk about. It's a big subject. Yeah. I'd love to do upcoming podcasts on it and go into some of these deta- these things in more detail. Yeah. Um, either one of the views or specific passages in the New Testament. I think a passage in the New Testament specifically might be yeah. the best route to go. Um, hint, hint, if you're listening, maybe make a request about that and we'll be sure to, to take that into consideration. But let me just ask you, if, if somebody comes in and they just say to you, you know, you're a pastor here in this church, and they say to you, you know, Pastor Sean, I, I have no, I know Jesus is coming, and I know I need to care, but I don't even know where to begin. Where do I even start with eschatology? Yikes. Like, what do you, what do you tell somebody with that? Where to start with eschatology? Like, where do you start to build your own personal eschatology? Gen- Genesis one, right? Because <laughs> is that was it a trick question? It's really not. But, okay, but I think I think this is the problem with eschatology. Eschatology, I just made the case that it runs from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Yeah. Why is that so intimidating? Because that's the whole Bible. Yeah. I don't know how else to tell people that they need to have... What you do not need to do to have an eschatological view is to find someone with a convincing argument or to only read Revelation 19 and 20 Yeah. or to watch a movie and be compelled by emotion. What The only biblical way to have an eschatological view is to read and study the Bible and see how the Bible talks about those things. If you want to have an eschatological view, read your whole New Testament this year and just pay attention to when it talks about the end times and jot notes down. Yeah. It can be that simple, but but it just it takes time. It takes study. Um, and, it, and it means we have to know God's Word. And for most of us, that's just intimidating. Yeah. I think a lot of people, and this is, this is what I've... I am morbidly curious about what might the tribulation look like? I am, and I think this is the, the the vast majority of people, I am morbidly curious about what the blood up to the horse's necks during the Battle of Apocalypse, what that, what does that mean? Does that literally mean in the Valley of Megiddo there's literally going to be blood that's like six feet? What does that mean? Um, I have opinions. Well, all the, everyone has opinions, dude. But yeah. <laughs> everyone... I, I think that a lot of people they stick there and they they focus on that and you know we've very recently experienced people who they want to you know we're discipling them and we say hey what would you guys like to talk about what is the number one answer we always get revelation because it's it's mysterious it's interesting it's it's unique in its genre it's well, apocalyptic literature so it's it's unique well we just worked through I just worked through revelation with my small group. Uh, that I lead on Wednesdays. I, I lead a small group discipleship group. We just worked through Revelation. Here's where we got to the end of Revelation. From chapter 1 through chapter 22, the point is Jesus is victorious and we're to have our hope in Him. Hey, That's amen. the point of it. Now, but this is the thing. 
number one, if you come to Revelation and you're studying Megiddo and there's blood up to the horse's necks and all that, and you don't come away from that Bible study with Jesus is victorious and we're to put our faith and hope in him, you've missed the point of Revelation because that's why John says he wrote it. But yeah. secondly, if you expect, well, if that's the point of Revelation, I don't need to work through those 22 chapters. I just need to know that Jesus is victorious and put my faith and hope in him and don't worry about all those details. You're ignoring the fact that John says in Revelation, blessed are those who read aloud this prophecy. God wants you to dwell on his word. He wrote 22 chapters about it. Yeah. So like we should care what God wrote in there, but we can't miss the point of why he wrote it. Right. Right. That I mean that studying Revelation, like I think the morbid curiosity can inspire true Bible study. Um, But you, know. you and I have both met people, though, that their their interest in eschatology doesn't seem to lead to an awe and a love of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's that's just us missing the point then. Yeah. You know, we're missing the, the reason. Main takeaway of this podcast, what do we want? So Revelation, John says, I write these things to you so that you may be encouraged, so that you may know what's going to happen, so that you can glorify Jesus. This podcast, we talked about some views, we talked about some theology. What do we want our people to take away from this podcast? I would say, from me, I, I would hope people would take away that eschatology is important, Yeah, that it's not just something for scholars, that yeah. it's something that's given for the church. Um, it's bigger than a chapter in the last book in the New Testament. Yeah, um, Not to downplay that chapter, but it, it's something that stretches across the, the Bible. This is something God wants us to see where he's taking things, um, and that it's something that's supposed to give us immense faith and hope and joy and peace in God. When you can see the whole story he's writing, at least just catch a glimpse of it, like that mountaintop glimpse of, oh, wow, God's doing something from beginning to end. It gives overwhelming peace and joy to the believer. And that's something I don't want people to miss. I don't want the difficulty of studying God's Word to make us miss that mountaintop view we can get. That's good. Yeah, that's good. And I just wanted to... I know that you're thinking that, and I know that... I just wanted to reiterate that because um, I always just have in the back of my mind, you know, that someone might be asking, why does this matter? Right. And I think so, it's a good question. But yeah, I really that's do good. think it's a good question. Okay. Um, I'll, that's it? Cap that off? That's it. Okay, good. So we would love to revisit topics within this topic. Um, hit us up, uh, gooddoctrinepodcast at gmail.com or our Facebook group. Yeah, that's probably going to be, if y'all want to talk about these three views... Start a conversation there. That would be a gentle, loving, constructive conversation. I mean, use all caps and exclamation (laughs) marks and um, fire emojis. Golly, yeah, you know, just (laughs) cuss us out. But no, um, oh my goodness, that's a that would be a good place to talk about this stuff Mm -hmm. because I want to hear what you guys have been taught about the end times. I want to hear what what the what you know the layperson believes about eschatology. Yeah, and then we can talk about it. Yep. So we'd love to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, we can definitely. Let me give my book recommendations, and this is why. There's a lot of really, 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 really bad writing on this topic. There are a lot of wackadoos that have written a lot of wackadoo stuff about these views. Let me just give you a couple authors that I personally would, would recommend. If you're interested in amillennialism, uh, Greg Beale or G.K. Beale is probably one of the, the best well-known authors in that. Um, I'd also recommend Sam Storms. 
He's very accessible in the way he writes. Kim Riddlebarger is fantastic. Uh, fantastic. Anthony Hakima, William Hendrickson. Um, there's there's more, but those are some authors that that you can definitely engage. They've written articles that are short. You don't have to read a whole book. Um, and engage the amillennial view. Premillennialism, we already mentioned Charles Schofield um, and J. J. Dwight Pentecost, but some some authors that are a little more scholarly and have written articles, like I said, and things on that, are Craig Blomberg. Craig Blomberg's probably one of the the best that I would recommend. He's fantastic. George Eldon Ladd, or G.E. Ladd, has written a lot on this topic as well. Um, So just make sure you're seeking out good, uh, good examples of that viewpoint. And it, Post- might, it might be a good idea if we, since you listed a whole bunch of authors, if we would um, take note of that and we put them in the description so that you can go and just kind of, maybe we can even put a link to good like their, their works and yeah, stuff. Yeah, we'll try, we'll try to do that. Post-millennialism, you can check out many of the Puritans. Many of the Puritans wrote on this. Jonathan Edwards, um, probably one of the more famous ones. Um, you can also check out more modern authors like B.B. Warfield. B.B. Uh, Warfield's a fantastic writer. Modern, it's like... 1800s. Well, I mean, he's modern in the grand <laughs> scheme of the church, I guess. Ian Murray. Um, if you want yeah. modern, modern, check out Jeff Durbin. Uh, yeah, Jeff yeah. Durbin's a very outspoken guy, and he has YouTube videos, so you can go check out his his uh, his viewpoints. But he's a he's Doug a, Wilson too, right? And Doug Wilson, yeah, both post millennial um, authors. And Doug Wilson just released a book on it, I think too. Yeah, but, it's called When the Man Comes Around. Right. He's an interesting. We guy. haven't read it yet. Yeah, no. So. Yeah, I don't know if, if it counts as a it, book if you read recommendation. It, don't tell us. We told you to read. That's it. right. Send us a copy. We'll we'll read it. Um, but yeah, that's, that, that's about the, the gist of the authors I want to recommend and just, just be wary of what you read. Now, uh, Josh mentioned the term hermeneutics, which just means, you know, interpretation, uh, you know, or exegesis, uh, exposing the text, you know, uncovering the text. There's a textbook that I used for my hermeneutics class in, uh, in seminary, and it's called Grasping God's Word. It's a really good book that uh, really helped me to understand things like genre of literature. Like, mm. why is why is Paul's letter to the Corinthians different than Revelation? Yeah. Or, or why is Genesis different than uh, the Gospel of John? And uh, there's one particular chapter in this book that deals with Revelation and how to interpret Revelation. Uh, it mentions... Uh, you heard me use the term apocalyptic literature, which was actually a, a style of writing that was uh, around in the time that John wrote uh, Revelation. Apocalyptic literature, and it you know deals with uh, there, it describes things you know dealing um, dealing with themes symbolically and 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 things like that. But I would recommend this book. It is a textbook in that, you know... But, but it's, so, it's so easy to read. It is. It really is I really a good, enjoyed it, as, and it was a textbook. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it's called Grasping God's Word, and it's a, it's a really popular book. I think it's in its third edition now, which is what I'd recommend getting. But do it. It's a good book. Good recommendation. Yeah. All right. Well, I'd it? love to... Yeah, I think that's it. Uh, we'd love to follow up with these topics, like I said. So please engage us on this. Um, but I hope this is a good intro to eschatology. Yeah, and we pray that your good doctrine <laughs> will establish good living. Dude, I've recorded this <laughs> ten times. This has to be the one. <laughs> well, is that it? Is that it? I feel like Man, it's just like skim the surface. Is that it? What's our time mark? That don't matter. 
Is that it? Are we still recording? Yeah. Oh. We probably need to just pause for a minute Man, here. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Is that it? If... Gotta go back, Sean. I'm all, I'm all befuddled now.